So I think it's a safe assertion uh, to say that the book of Titus is, like we've been in Titus for a few weeks now, several weeks, and the book itself is how to identify, institute, and what was the third I? Can you uh, flip the... It was so clever, I thought. Identify, institute, and instruct elders. And um, as I believe it was Brother Matt who said when we first started, I think he had the first week, and he said, even though this is about elders, you know, this, this letter is specifically addressed to elders for the purpose of identifying, instituting, and instructing them, like how they should, how to figure out who elders are, how to put them in, in the right place in church, and then how they should live, right? That's what the letter's about. Even though it's about that, every believer is called to the things in this letter. Um, Matt, you did say that. Where'd, where'd Matt go? Matt, you did say that, right? Okay. Well, good job, because I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, so as we read through this tonight, the temptation is to say, I'm not an elder, uh, you know, I'm not a deacon, this doesn't apply to me. But you're wrong if you, if you think that, because it applies to you, and it applies to me. And uh, as believers, we are all called to be holy. Um, can you go to the next slide? I wish I had a clicker. Okay. Um, as believers, we're all called to be holy, right? First Peter says, be holy as I am holy. I think he's quoting Leviticus. Um, but First Peter chapter 1, verse 15, be holy. We're all called to emulate Christ. Galatians 2, right? says, it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, we're all called to be a living sacrifice. If we look at Romans 12, right? Uh, Present yourselves, therefore, as a living sacrifice to God. And we're all called to be a royal priesthood. Um, how many of you know that Andrew song that, did that Andrew song just pop in your head? Anybody? Show of hands. Okay, three people. All right. All right. Um, <clears throat> I thought that would be a bigger hit. Um, but what does that acronym spell? Biba. So if someone could get a t-shirt made, they, they can't all be winners. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're all called to these things, is my point. Um, so I'll accredit my cousin. Uh, like, when I'm trying to prepare for a passage, I like to ask people a bunch of different questions. I like to hear from a bunch of different people. Um, and one of the people I talked to was my cousin. And uh, he said, you know, he was talking about a chosen race or a royal priesthood. And he said, you know, John, there are some people in your life that you are going to be the priest to. You're going to be the only priest that they have. They're never going to set foot in a church. They may never talk to your elders at your church or, or whomever. So, like, you, it's, it's your job to minister to those people. And uh, I, I fully believe that's true. Like, even though we're not called, like, we're not all elders, we're not all called to be elders, like, it's our job to be a royal priesthood, and it's our job to preach to those um, those people in our small circles, right? So um, tonight's verses can kind of be divided up into sort of like two main parts. The first part is like how we should all act, how we should all be trying to act, and, uh, you know, elders specifically, but also the church. And the second part is like sort of like why we should act in that way. Um, so 
Uh, let's, let's read the verse. Let's read the verse together. Do I even have it in my... Wow, that's embarrassing. You can tell I'm an old hand at this. All right. So let's read the verse together, and then we will pray. I wish I brought my phone up here. Okay. Remind them to be, uh, so Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by our righteous not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Father, please speak to us tonight uh, through your word. We just ask that uh, your word would come alive and uh, just move in our hearts by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, next slide, please. Okay. So uh, just one last thing. This, uh, this passage has surprisingly been really difficult for me um, because I'm really bad at all of this list. Um, and that's not, I know that might be something that pastors say, but I really truly am bad at most of this list, if not all of it. And um, so it, it's been hard for me because for weeks now I've, you know, I've kind of been reading through this, these verses and studying them and seeing what the words mean. And I feel like I couldn't get past the very first one, which is submit to rulers and authorities. And for weeks, I have been asking myself what that means. Um, because we have rulers and authorities in our life all over the place, right? Like uh, we've got, you know, if you're younger, you've got parents. If you're... Uh, you know, if you're older, you've got police officers and governors and the president and, you know, like Congress and Senate are, you know, like everybody's passing laws. Those are authorities that are, that are in our sphere of life, right? Um, so I've been wondering, like, I've been asking myself and praying and thinking about and asking other people, like, what does it mean to, like, what does it really mean to submit to authorities? Um, in the U.S., I feel like we're especially bad at it. Um, 
I don't, you know, maybe that's just because I don't know the rest of the world. Um, it's probably bad everywhere, to be honest. Um, but it feels like there's a sense of nationalism and pride when we say, no, I'm going to do things my way. You know, like, I'm going to be a self-made man. I'm going to carve my own path in life, and I'm not going to submit to anybody. And I, I feel like we have the, the wrong idea of what submission is, and I feel like we, a lot of people, including myself, don't even know what that truly looks like or what that should look like. So uh, I'll come out and say it. Uh, we are called to submit to rulers and authorities. Um, so, and it's not just in Titus. Like, I, I included 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, 13. And if you really want to get whooped and you really want to feel like bad about how you're submitting to your authorities, just go read 1 Peter chapter 2 where he talks about authorities. Um, well, we're actually going to read that uh, in, in a minute, but if you go study it, it will, uh, it will break you. Uh, <laughs> it will show you how, how bad you are at submitting to authorities. Um, at least it did for me. So 1 Peter 2 says, uh, Submit, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or as supreme, and, and it continues. And Romans 13 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So I, I underlined two things. It's probably hard to see from that far away. Um, but one of the things I underlined was from 1 Peter where it says, be subject for the Lord's sake. And Peter is going to expound on that idea um, that it is a gracious and it's it is a, a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord to suffer by submitting to a, an authority. Um, he says basically, if I could summarize it, he says if you do something wrong and you get punished, that's no credit. You know, like you're just getting what you deserve. But it's a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord if you get punished and and you still submit. Um, and that's a really hard word. Um, that's a that's a really hard word for me to hear. Like it's it's easy for me to submit to people when they I think they're doing a good job, you know, uh, you know whether it be your boss at work or whomever. It's it's really easy if we want to submit to people that we totally agree with, you know, like their their values line up with our, our values. They're leading in a way that we think we should be led, like we would be leading. You know, we can see where they're going, and, and we can kind of put a check by it and say, yeah, I'd, I'd have done things that way too. That's easy. But that's not really submitting to people. That's really just submitting to yourself. You know, like when you totally agree with everybody and you're just going along, you're really just, it's almost like pseudo-submission. <laughs> um, the real challenge is when there's authority in your life that you disagree with. Um, who, whatever, whatever position it may be, and you, uh, you continue to submit to them anyway. So can you go to the next slide? Oh, it's real tiny. But uh, Peter would say, 
I'll just read this out because I felt like this was so convicting. Uh, he, this, the example he uses is servants. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it and you endure? But if you're good and you suffer for it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So as I've been praying about this and thinking about it, it I felt like God showed me that submission is an act of trust. It's, you know, when you're going along with someone and they're in a position of authority to you, whatever that position may be, if you disagree with them, um, you're, you're faced with a dilemma. Are you going to listen to them or are you not going to listen to them, right? Are you going to submit or are you not going to submit? And I think it could be boiled down to, do we trust God in that situation? Um, if we trust God, then if, if we continue, as Peter said, to in, keep entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly, because remember, Romans 13 says all authority comes from God. Even if that authority is abused, um, it comes from the Lord. And that, that in and of itself is hard to swallow, um, but I, I believe it. And so that, that is the question. Will we continue entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly, which is God? So if, if we believe that God is sovereign, if that he is the head of all authority, and even if people do evil, even if authorities in our lives do evil, if we still believe that God is sovereign, we can submit. Now, there is a caveat, and some of you may be thinking the caveat, like, should we submit to people all the time? And the answer is no. Um, if you, we go to the next slide. Submission, uh, there's an exception to submission. And Romans 13 kind of outlines that there's a chain of command, right, where God is the ultimate authority, and he passes down, he, he institutes authorities in our life. Whether we like them or not, whether they do a good job, whether they respond to the Lord and they rule justly or not, God institutes it. Uh, all authority is, is, comes from God. And so if that, if that authority in your life tells you to do something contrary to God's word, like what God has revealed to you, then we are to rebel against it. I get... But I think that is the only exception. If, if there's an authority in your life, whether it be a boss or a governor or a president or a police officer or whatever, if somebody tells you to do something that is going to cause you to sin against God or sin against other people, you should not listen to that person because God has told you not to do those things, right? So that's kind of how we should balance authority and submission in our life. 
But man, that's really hard. Um, I, I feel like we're, uh, I feel like we're really bad at it. Um, and I say we liberally, you know, maybe it's me who's just bad at it. But how many times have we heard, like in the last decade, um, you know, he's not my president. I say the last decade because I have no idea what everybody's affiliation is. I'm not trying to get into that. I'm just saying I have heard it for at least a decade now uh, from all sides of the political sphere. That's not my president. Uh, I actually just heard it, uh, I, I don't know when, I won't say when, but I heard it very recently. Um, someone said, you know, if, if Biden said to do this, we shouldn't do this. And I immediately thought of this passage because I've been uh, thinking about it and praying over it. And to be honest, I, I really struggle. Um, there, are, there are all kinds of uh, things that I disagree with. Um, again, I'm not, I'm really not trying to get political at all, but I think there are evil things, there are evil laws that are passed, there are evil speeches that are made, there are lies that are propagated everywhere, um, there's a lot of usury, there's a lot of terrible things um, in America, uh, all in the world, but in American leadership, like people in positions of authority. Um, and it's really hard. It's, so we're called to submit to them, but we're not called to submit to them to the point where we would sin against other people or we would sin against God. If that is clear as mud. All right, next slide. <laughs> uh, we're called to be ready for every good work. Now, when I think of this, I immediately, I've been asking myself, uh, what, is, what does that even look like? What does it mean to be ready for every good work? And I don't know if, if anyone else has thought of this, but I immediately think of Ephesians 2.10, where it says, We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I, um, I don't know if this sounds cheesy or, or whatever, but... I really believe that every single day believers have good works kind of lined up for them by God. Like God has good works prepared for you every single day that you wake up. Like when you wake up, God has already got a, a, a line of things of good works that you could potentially be doing. And so the question is, and, and those, those things you can respond to God, like you can respond and it could just be something like helping someone take out the trash or, you know, um, husbands like getting up with your, your kids and, and giving your wife a break, you know, like just doing things like trying to bless each other and trying to bless other people. I think God has preordained these things in our life. I think there are opportunities every single day when we wake up. And the question isn't, do those opportunities exist? The question is, are we looking for them? You know, are we ready? And I can tell you, just from personal experience, when my mind is engaged in other things, uh, anything other than the Lord, I miss those opportunities, left and right. And sometimes I don't see it until later, and I'm like, man, like, what a great chance that could have been, you know? Like, what a great opportunity I missed. And um, then there are other times when, you know, I wake up and I'm like, all right, 
Yeah, let's do this. What, God, what do you got ready for me today? And those are the days that I feel the most joy. Those are the days when I feel like uh, I'm seeing God's hand throughout the day. Um, and I, I kind of get this image of like a tennis player. Like, what does it mean to be ready for, for good works every day? Like, be ready for every good works. It's sort of like, you know, how a tennis player would be ready for, to return a, a serve. You know, like they're, they're crouched and they're in their tennis position. And, uh, you know, the serve comes and they're ready. Whichever side it comes, uh, if it comes, you know, if it falls short, if it's uh, like a hundred mile an hour serve, they're in their stance, they're ready for it, ready to, to volley it or whatever. Um, so we're called, we as believers are called for every good work. All right, next slide. Yeah. Um, we're called to speak no evil. Now, the word here in Titus 3 is, uh, it probably looks uh, familiar to you. Uh, it's like blasphemon, blasphemon, and it means to slander or to revile. Um, now, I kind of struggle with this one, too, because sometimes people just do evil things. And then I'm like, well, is it wrong to talk you know, is it wrong to talk about those evil things that people do? Um, I feel like the heart of this word is to slander, to, to kind of lie against somebody or to malign somebody's name, to try and, like, drag someone's name through the mud. That, that is kind of the heart of this word. But it, it, it means to refrain from making false or damaging statements about other people. And... I've been wondering, like, why? Uh, I ask why all the time, if you haven't noticed. And um, I've been asking why. Why should we speak evil of no one? Um, and James, uh, James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And Tim was just talking uh, a couple weeks ago, I think, about how he went to a conference or something and everybody was complaining and everybody was, everybody was speaking evil uh, or, you know, everybody was um, maligning and, and complaining and grumbling. And he said it got to the point where just he didn't want to hear anything else anybody that, at that conference said. Like he, he felt in that moment that they had kind of just ruined their testimony in that moment. Like he didn't want to hear anything else from them at that time. And I think that's true. Um, I think we can go to church and we can sing and we can do all these things, these good things. Like we can worship the Lord, we can serve other people, we can do all this stuff. But if we don't have a tight rein on our mouth, if we're talking trash about people, if we're gossiping about people and dragging their name through the mud all the time, that's what people are going to remember us by. And that's really sad because I know that we all do a lot of good things. I know it. I, like, I'm friends with a lot of you. I know that we do good stuff. And I would hate for people, non-believers especially, but just people in general, other believers at churches, I would hate for people to, when they think of us, to think of, oh, that person just, you know, that person just runs their mouth all the time. That person just says such nasty, hateful things about other people. Um, 
And that, that is what people will remember if we don't keep a tight rein on our, on our tongue. Which, and that's why I think we're, we shouldn't speak evil of anyone. Um, uh, something God has been challenging me with uh, lately is like when something negative about someone comes into my mind, like instead of, talk to, instead of turning to somebody and talking about them negatively, like God has been challenging me to pray for that person. And as I've been doing it, I've been wondering, like, man, is, is this the whole reason why we see people's evil, you know? Like, is the point, you know, sometimes you can, God will give you insight or you'll have insight because of relationships with people and you'll know their worst qualities, right? The closer you are to someone, the more dirt you know on them. Like, you, you know, you've seen them at their very worst, right? But I think the point is to, to lift those people up in prayer, you know? Like, so I would like to challenge everybody with that, like, as you, you know, throughout the week, you're going to see evil. You're going to see your friends commit evil. You're, you're going to commit evil. You're, you're going to see uh, evil on the news. And instead of grumbling or maligning or, or whatever our, our tendency in the flesh is to do, I think God would have us pray for those people. Even if we don't like them, even if they're our enemies, I believe that is what we're called to. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, and perfectly courteous to all. Uh, The word quarreling here is macharin, and it means foolish arguments. So I would say not all arguments are foolish. Some hills are worth dying on, but a lot of them aren't. So really my question is what, what hills are we dying on today? And what hills should we be dying on? You know, uh, I don't have Facebook anymore, not because I'm uh, holy or anything, but literally it was because I kept getting into stupid quarrels. Uh, I, I get sucked into them, I really do. Uh, <laughs> and it's, um, it, really is, uh, it really was a problem for me. Um, people I love, people I like, people I respect, um, I would just see them post something, and I would get real mad and be like, they can't say that. Like, that's so wrong. And, you know, I, what I thought at the time was just me trying to respond in love would quickly devolve into, you know, name calling and just uh, ugliness. You know, just speaking evil of people, if we just were to go back a slide. Um, so I'm not saying social media is evil. But I am saying, like, it's so easy to, to quarrel over stupid stuff, um, at least for me. And we're called to not quarrel. We're, qual- we're, called, qualt- we're called to be gentle and perfectly courteous to all people. Uh, is Steve here? Steve's not here. Man. Well, anyway, Steve's favorite Bible verse is First uh, Peter 1.15. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with all gentleness and respect. So some things are worth fighting for, but even if we're fighting for the right things, if we're not doing it with gentleness 
and respect. If we're not doing it with perfect courtesy, we're failing. <laughs> uh, and people are going to point to us being rude and disqualify us. They're going to point to say, hey, um, I thought you were a Christian. You know, why are you saying these rude things? So why should I even listen to you? And even if we're in the right, even if we have uh, solid arguments, if we're rude, people, I'm telling you from experience, people will use that to disqualify you and disqualify your arguments. Um, but notice it doesn't say show perfect courtesy to just Republicans or just Democrats or Christians or the wealthy or just Americans or those of a certain race or nationality. Like, we're commanded to show perfect courtesy toward all people, and even those that don't deserve it. Next slide, please. So, uh, if you're like me, uh, you're like, man, this is impossible. <laughs> it's impossible to show perfect courtesy to people, especially, like, the rude, you know, you think of the most rude obnoxious person in your life. God is calling you to show perfect courtesy to that person and to speak no evil of them and to pray for that person. And uh, you may be saying, like, God, you don't understand, which is what I was saying. Like, these people don't deserve my respect. These people don't deserve uh, courtesy. They don't deserve anything good. Um, and if that is the outcry of your heart... Like, I'll just say, one, I'm with you. Like, I, I feel that way, too. And if, if you're, the outcry of your heart is to say, that's not fair, as you're doing this, then you're probably doing something right. Because you're probably looking like Jesus, and that feels contrary to our, our fleshly nature. Like, if, if someone maligns us or says something mean to us or does something mean to us, my first response is to, to fire back, right? So if I don't do that, if I instead pray for that person and forgive them and try to lift them up and I try to show perfect courtesy and respect to that person, that is making me look like Jesus. Um, and if it feels impossible, it's because it is impossible. Like, we can't just grit our teeth. Um, we can't just make this happen. Like, we need God for God things. We need God's Spirit to help us, to give us the character of Jesus. We need God's Spirit to give us the power to act lovingly to those that would be our enemies. But it starts with us agreeing with God and asking for help. Okay. Uh, what time is it? I left my phone up there. 51, okay, thank you. All right, so why should we act this way? Uh, we should act this way. We should do all this stuff because we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Like, we were God's enemies. Uh, if I could paraphrase... Uh, those few verses, Paul's saying, you used to be enemies of God. 
You did whatever you wanted to do all the time and lived in rebellion to God. And while you were living like that, Christ still died to pay for your sins. Not because you did anything to deserve it, but because of his goodness and mercy. Believers are now God's adopted children and heirs because of what Jesus has done. And we'll live forever with him. And this is what we're called to as Christians. Jesus would say, love your enemy, right? I mean, all of that could be encapsulated into love your enemy as yourself. So when we submit to rulers and authorities, when we're ready for every good work, when we speak evil of no one, when we avoid quarreling and we show all people perfect courtesy, that's when others see and hear Jesus. They see Jesus in us when we do those things. When we say, uh, I want to punch you, or I want to cuss you out, or I want to you know, malign your name, I want to get vengeance. When we, say, when we say no to those things, and we say, man, God, what do you want in this situation? Like, Jesus, how can I look like you? God, help me in this situation. This person is driving me nuts. Jesus, help me. Like, when we pray for those people, that's, that's when that person will see Jesus, and that's also when other people who are involved will see Jesus in us. And they'll start asking, why? Why is it that someone responds in a supernatural way like that? That is not a worldly way to respond. The worldly way is, I'm going to punch you in the face, or I'm going to cuss you out, or I'm going to cut you, you know, I might drive you off the road, you know, road rage. Like, those are worldly responses, right? Like, this stuff is not the world's way of dealing with stuff. This is like Jesus' way. And it will lead to evangelism. Like, when we act this way, when we surrender to God, um, and it's, it's little bit by little bit, it's not like we just flip on a light switch and then all of a sudden we have just, like, rainbows and butterflies and we love everybody. At least it's not that way for, for me. If it is that way for you, please tell me what, you, what you're doing. Because I, I would love to feel that way, but I don't feel that way. I often am, am angry or, um, you know, jealous or, you know, just all of the horrible emotions that a sinful human would be. Like, that is, that is how I feel. Um, but God is good. <laughs> and... He has the power to take my terrible attitude and my terrible heart and begin to transform it, to give us a new heart and to move in our lives in a way that will show people Jesus. So uh, there's, there's so much I want to say, uh, but I'm running out of time. So I'll, I'll just end with the... the well, let's go to the parable of the unforgiving servant. And I'll speed it up. Um, I'm not going to read this whole, this whole, uh, all these verses, but I felt like this was a good encapsulation of what we're called to be. Basically, there's a guy, there is a rich king, and he decided he was going to get everybody to pay their debts. He had loaned out a bunch of money, and he said, okay, today I'm going to have a reckoning. Everybody's going to come in and pay me what they owe me. And this one guy came in, and he owed him millions of dollars. And the king said, all right, pay up. 
And the guy said, I don't have the money. And the king said, okay, well, I'm going to throw you and your wife and your children. They're going to be, I'm going to sell you guys to, to make up that money that you owe me. And the man falls on his feet before the king and he pleads and he begs. And he says, please, king, um, I don't have the money. Please have mercy on me. Take pity. And the king shows him mercy and he forgives the debt. And then the same guy who had just been shown mercy goes and he goes to, to somebody who owed him a couple thousand dollars. And he said, hey, pay me the debt now. And the guy says, I don't have it. And the guy falls down in his feet. And he says, please have mercy on me. And the guy says, no. And he has him thrown in jail and sold. Well, word gets back to the king, and the king angrily gets that man. And he says, you were forgiven so much, and you couldn't forgive that little debt that that man owed you. Uh, needless to say, it doesn't end well for that person. Um, but that is the gospel. It's like we're forgiven so much, like more than we will ever comprehend, Jesus has forgiven us. And we are called, like for the small, they may feel huge, they may feel colossal, but they're really small. They pale in comparison to all the offenses that we do to God all the time, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. Um, God has forgiven us greatly. So we, we need to, like, when we realize that and we, our heart wraps around that idea, it doesn't seem like that much to say, you know, okay, I forgive. I, I can forgive other people. I, I've been forgiven so much, I can forgive this offense, whatever it is. Uh, the, the very last thing I'll say, uh, so we've got profitable versus unprofitable. Uh, next slide, sorry. Um, I'll just say, what time is it? 5.50, okay. So, <laughs> man, I will never forget my phone for the rest of my life. Um, I'll, uh, I'll leave it to you guys to read verses 9 and 10. But I do think the heart of it is unity of the church. Um, basically, it says avoid foolish controversies. Um, our church is so divided and so split up and splintered, and I really am convinced that it breaks God's heart. Like, God wants unity. He wants unity of his people. He wants unity of the body. Um, and not, not every hill is worth dying on. It's, it's really not. It's, it's not. Some hills are. You know, there's some, if, if there are denominations or if there are churches that are saying, go against God's word, what God has clearly shown, live in rebellion to God's word, then we should not seek unity with those people because they're not the church. But for all of the other denominations that might just have a slight different interpretation of a couple doctrines that, that in the grand scheme of things, um, all doctrine is important, but I think you guys get my point. Not everything is worth fighting over. We shouldn't be the splintered. Uh, we should love each other. Like, we should love the church. We should love other churches. Uh, I really think that's what 
Jesus wants. Um, I think the only time we shouldn't have unity, uh, like the only reason is if people have revealed that they are not following God's word. You know, like that is really the only excuse we, we should have is like if people are, there are like primary issues like saying Jesus isn't the only way to God or saying Jesus wasn't the son of God. Like, you know, maybe he was just a prophet. That is a problem. <laughs> that is against God's word. And we should not seek to have church unity with any churches or affiliations that say that kind of stuff. Um, the most recent issue I could think of was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine in the, the Methodist church, uh, a pastor, and I said, you know, what do you do when, it, when your church decides to pursue something other than God? And he said, you disaffiliate. <laughs> and he was talking about um, this, this thing going on in the Methodist church now where they're voting on if homo practicing homosexuals can be um, ordained pastors, and there is division right now, and that is a good reason to split because people are no longer pursuing God's word. They're no longer saying God's word is an authority in that situation. Um, so we, like, you should not be unified like, you should love them, you should respect them, show them perfect courtesy, but you should not think of them as your brothers and sisters. Um, and that's, that's a tough word. Maybe I, I shouldn't have ended on that. But, um, but this, has been, um, this has been a really challenging passage for me. Um, again, personally, I, I struggle with all of this stuff. Uh, I've, I've been broken several times, and I, I've also been really encouraged, and it's led me to worship. Um, so my prayer is that hopefully it challenges everybody here. Um, it encourages you guys. It, it breaks you, and you'll, you'll begin to turn to God and, uh, in a fresh way and say, God, um, I want to agree with you about this stuff, and will you work in me? Please like, have your spirit work in my heart and change me. Because when God changes our hearts, our actions will follow. Because our, our actions are just a manifestation of our hearts. All right. Let's pray. Thank you. Father, um, I always feel like I fumble through your words. <laughs> um, but God, I do trust your spirit. I trust that you will move tonight. Um, I ask that you would uh, be sharp. Your word would be sharper than a double-edged sword. It would pierce through the marrow and the bone, and it would get to the heart of where we're at, um, where our struggles are. Um, God, encourage us for the things that we're doing well. Help us to feel encouraged when we're doing good stuff. And God, uh, convict us for the things that need improvement. Um, we want to be your church, Lord. We want to shine for you. We want people to see you when we speak and the things that we do. We want people to remember us as your children and your church. So, Father God, please just help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.